hopefully I maintain my voice. About halfway through junior boys camp, I began to notice that I was getting hoarse. And on Thursday and Friday, I told my boys that I was going to have other boys start yelling at them if they started to wander off. <laughs> so we did that. <laughs> if they wandered off, then another boy got assigned to yell because I was like, I can't yell anymore. We had to stay together in a little COVID-19 cabin group. So if one kid went to crafts, everybody went to crafts. If one kid was going to the swimming pool and you had a, an allotted hour for swimming pool, everybody went to the swimming pool and so on and so forth. So um, I think it worked well. I think that most of the kids liked the extra structure. Um, they weren't, you know, wandering around camp aimlessly, just spending money at the shack all the time. They had a lot of times to spend money at the shack. And one of my campers, he bought three drumsticks and I think two um, ice cream bars in one setting and ate them all. It was very impressive. And he wasn't sick afterwards, so that's even better. So anyways, it was a good time and a lot of ice cream was eaten. And yeah, anyways. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer, and then we will look at 1 Samuel 24. Father, we do thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to um, come away from all the busyness of this world and to meditate on who you are, that you are a just God, that you are a good God, and that even though there are times in our lives where we fail you and we sin against you, and we act treacherously to your love and your care and your compassion on our behalf, that you still remain a good God who welcomes us back with open arms and has a desire to forgive us and to restore us to a right relationship. We thank you that we're able to depend upon you to be our righteous judge. We pray that as we see that truth, that it would be very clear in our eyes and that it would encourage us and motivate us to live lives of faithful obedience to you this coming week. In your name we pray. Amen. First uh, Samuel 24. Let's read that passage together and then we will um, talk about some of the more nuanced aspects of it. Now it happened when Samuel had returned from following the Philistines that it was told him, saying, Take note, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and went to seek David and his men on the rocks of the wild goats. So he came to the sheepfolds by the road where there was a cave, and Saul went in to attend to his needs. David and his men were staying in the recesses of the cave. Then the men of David said to him, This is the day of which the Lord has said to you, Behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hand. Behold, I... Um, that you may do to him as it seems good to you. And David arose and secretly cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Now it happened afterward that David's heart troubled him because he had cut Saul's robe. And he said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David restrained his servants with these words and did not allow them to rise against Saul. And Saul got up from the cave and went on his way. Verse 8, David also arose afterward, went out of the cave, and called out to Saul, saying, My Lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David stooped with his face to the earth and bowed down. And David said to Saul, 
Why do you listen to the words of men who say, Indeed, David seeks you harm and harm? Look this day, your eyes have seen that the Lord delivered you today into my hand in the cave. And someone urged me to kill you, but my eye spared you. And I said, I will not stretch out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Moreover, my father, see, yes, yeah, see the corner of your robe in my hand. For in that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you. Now and see that there is neither evil nor rebellion in my hand. And I have not sinned against you, yet you hunt my life to take it. Let the Lord judge between you and me, and let the Lord avenge me on you. But my hand shall not be against you, as the proverb of the ancients say, Wickedness proceeds from the wicked, but my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? Whom do you pursue? A dead dog? A flea? Therefore, let the Lord... Be judge and judge between you and me and see and plead my case and deliver me out of your hand. So it was when David had finished speaking these words to Saul that Saul said, Is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. Then he said to David, You are more righteous than I, for you have rewarded me with good, whereas I have rewarded you with evil. And you have shown this day that you have dealt well with me. For when the Lord delivered me into your hand, you did not kill me. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away safely? Therefore, may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. And now I know indeed that you shall surely be king, and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Therefore, swear now to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants after me, and that you will not destroy my name from my father's house. So David swore to Saul, and Saul went home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. As the passage begins, it's all about trusting the judge. And the theme of the passage is the Lord vindicates and honors his servants who turn to him in faith. The Lord vindicates and honors his servants who turn to him in faith. And as we begin to look at the passage, you see that God's servants sin. But when God's servants sin, they come to him and they seek his forgiveness. And as we open up 1 Samuel 24, that is what we see happening in the passage. If you remember from 1 Samuel 23, David has just been marvelously guided and provided for and encouraged by God. And if you remember in 1 Samuel 23, that phrase, delivered into your hand or given into your hand, is repeated a number of times. And Saul has this misconceived idea that because David has gone into the city and has been locked in there, that God has handed him into his hand. We're going to see that phrase once again pop up a number of times in 1 Samuel 24. It's continuing some of that same idea through. And it's actually shown that God is going to deliver Saul into David's hand. But David is not going to be delivered into Saul's hand. Even though he has this misconceived idea that he is worthy of leadership. And as we think about all this, it's interesting because Saul has just been 
taken away from his pursuit of David. If you remember, he was about ready to make that pincer move, and he was about ready to encircle David and his troops. And right about then, well, a little bit before then, God had worked in the Philistines' heart to invade Israel. And as they invade Israel, what happens? They're prevented because a messenger comes running up to Saul and his troops and says, We're under attack, Saul. You're the king. It's your job to protect us and to care for us. And so Saul gives up his pursuits. And it's the rock of division. It's where they separate. And now Saul has gone. He's <clears throat> defeated the Philistines. He's been victorious in that. And he comes back. And he's not coming back as a triumphant king doing his, you know, military parade marches and celebrating God's great victory. No. As soon as that problem is dealt with, his number one concern is, let's go find David and kill David. That's interesting. Earlier in 1 Samuel, we've learned that David has how many men? He has 600 men. Saul's going to pursue him with 3,000 men. And so Saul pursues him with 3,000 men. So there's a 1 to 5 ratio. And, and as Saul is going on his journey looking for where is David hiding out, Saul needs to use the restroom. And because there's not, you know, porta potties as he's journeying, decides to go into a cave. And as he's inside the cave, David and his men are in the back of the cave hiding. And you can just imagine David and his men sitting in the back of the cave. And as they're sitting there, you know, it's really dark and Saul can't see in to see them. But they see this well-dressed man who has a stature and the tallness of Saul and he has the robe and the majesty of a king walk in and they're like David this is God delivering Saul into your hand take his life and you're going to be king God has already promised you that and while David doesn't go and take Saul's life David does sin against the Lord's anointed. He goes instead and he cuts off Saul's robe as proof of his ability to kill Saul. And as, as soon as he does that, he begins to regret the fact that he has sinned against. He has demonstrated a lack of regard, a lack of respect for the office that Saul has. And so you see his own words in verse 6. The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. He says, this is who God has chosen at this time to be the leader. And how dare I approach him in such a way that disregards his position of authority. And David mourns the fact that he has sinned against Saul. And as he mourns that fact, he is convicted and he prevents greater harm from falling on Saul. His men are like, let's go kill this guy. And in verse 7, David restrained his servants with these words and did not allow them to rise against Saul. They're rising against him, 
in a time where he is at a disadvantage in a serious way, he doesn't know he's in there with anybody else, and they could have easily killed him. And David says, no, we're not doing that. David confesses his sin and he turns to God and he repents. And for a little bit, David was tempted to say, God is not the ultimate judge. I'm going to take this responsibility upon myself and I'm going to seek justice in my own means. I'm going to turn to my own abilities, my own reasoning, and I'm going to seek what is just and what is right. And after he does so, he very quickly realizes and sees his own sinfulness and he repents. And so the question is, as you and I go through life and we are confronted with things that are wrong, and we see that, you know, there are lots of wrongs in our society. People are treated unjustly in our society. Children are treated unjustly in our society. Whether it be via physical abuse or child pornography or whether it be abortions that are rampant in our society, people are abused and treated unjustly in our society. Adults are treated unjustly in our society. And it's not always motivated by racial things. There's lots of injustice that happens in our society. Bosses abuse and take advantage of their employees at times. Employees take horrible advantage of their employers at times. And as you are confronted with your sin in response to all those situations, whether it be an outburst of anger at a, another employee who's not doing the right thing, or an outburst at an employer who's not treating somebody right, or an outburst of sinful anger at somebody who is abusing somebody, or treating somebody unjustly, it's a very fine line between righteous anger and unrighteous anger. What is your response? And what your response should be is, it should be that God's servants sin, but when they sin, they go to God and they seek his forgiveness. That's what David does. And as I was with my junior boys at one time, well, at multiple times I had to confront people, you know, tell them, you're doing the wrong thing. And one time I told one of them, you're doing the wrong thing. You're not doing the right thing. And the individual looked at me and said, sorry. You know what my response was? Sorry doesn't mean anything until you change. Okay? Sorry doesn't mean anything until you change. And David goes before God and he is remorseful. He is sorry. Does he change them? Is there change in his actions? Is there change in the words that he uses? And the answer is yes, there is. Look with me in verse 8 and following. God's servants look to the Lord for vindication. David's actions and his words are going to demonstrate that he is righteous. That he does indeed pursue God after his 
with his whole heart. David also arose after Saul had left, and what does he do? Look at his look at his words and look at his actions in response to Saul. Verse 8. David also arose and went out of the cave, and he called out to Saul, saying, My Lord. Okay, this is a different Lord than what's used to refer to God, but it's a, it's a demonstration of respect. Okay, he's saying, You are in a position of authority. You are the king. And he's going to use more words, even, and more actions to demonstrate. His understanding of who God is. And, and we're going to learn what his understanding of who God is in verse 12 and verse 15. Very strongly, he points to who God is. And because of who God is, that God is a righteous judge. And God is someone who can be depended upon and trusted to do what is right, even in the midst of horrible, hard circumstances. David can live in obedience. He says, My Lord. In verse 8, he moves on. The king. And when Saul looked behind him, David stooped with his face to the earth and he bowed down. He, he bows down to the one who God has put in authority. And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, Indeed, David seeks you harm? Look at this day. Your eyes have seen that the Lord delivered you today into my hand in the cave. And someone urged me to kill you, but my eyes spared you. And I said, I will not stretch out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. God put him there. And because God is just and God is right and God does what is just and what is right, David says, I can live in obedience and not choose to harm this individual because God is doing what is right? God is working about his plan. I can live in obedience and faithfulness even if everybody else around me does not. Moreover, my father. Once again, another statement demonstrating his changed heart. My father, see, yes, see the corner of your robe in my hand. For that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you. Know and see that there is neither evil nor rebellion in my hand, for I have not sinned against you. He's not denying that there wasn't anything wrong. In verse 7, he very clearly states that what he did was wrong. What he's saying is, it is not my intent, it is not my desire, like your people around you have been saying, my desire and my intent is not to kill you. I'm not in outright rebellion against your authority. And so he says that the Lord has delivered him, but he chose not to kill him. And then in verses 12 and 15, you really get to the pinnacle, the big theological idea that God is the righteous, good judge who does what is right and what is good, not just some of the time. But all the time, and because he is the righteous and good judge all the time, when he says, obey your parents, you obey your parents. When he says, live a life that is pure and free from immorality, 
We seek to live a life that is pure and free from immorality. When he says that it is our responsibility to share our faith with our neighbors, we share our faith with our neighbors. When he says it is our responsibility to love one another, we love one another because what he has said is good and he is just and right. And because of his character, that he is a just and good judge, we live in faithful obedience. Note with me verse 12. David's going to turn to God. He's not going to turn to his own scheming. This is why David doesn't have to kill Saul. It's interesting. In, in junior boys, we preached, or I didn't preach, but uh, Willie Felderman preached through a number of these passages. And he had um, one guy come up, and he was David, and he had another, the rest of the cabin. You know, social distancing. So you had to, like, choose the whole cabin to be up there. You couldn't, like, have one kid from this cabin, you know. We did really good. Um, anyway, so they brought them all up, and they choose one kid to be David, and then he put the others behind him. And he gave them each the mic, and he's like, if somebody was looking to kill you, what would you do to them? And the junior boys were like, kill him, kill him, kill him. <laughs> Anyways, okay. So that's why David doesn't have to, though. David has been drastically changed. Why? Because of his understanding of who God is. And he points to that theological truth in verse 12 through verse 15. And 12 and 15 really encompass the big ideas. Let the Lord judge between you and me. And let the Lord avenge me on you. God's going to do what is right. God is going to avenge me. I don't have to do it. Because he is just and he is good and he will do what is right. But my hand shall not be against you. He moves on and he, David quotes a proverb to the king and he says, as the proverb of the ancients say, wickedness proceeds from the wickedness. And the idea is, I'm not wicked. And so there's not wickedness coming from me. You've got the wrong guy, Saul. And in fact, Saul, you are the one who is wicked. You are the one who is not pursuing after God. You are the one who fails to understand that God is a just judge and a good judge. But my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? Whom do you pursue? What David is saying here is, I'm really nothing in comparison to this whole grand scheme. I am not that important. In effect, you're, you're wasting your time. Therefore, let the Lord be judge and judge between you and me and see and plead my case and deliver me out of your hand. Because I'm not going to turn to my own abilities. I'm gonna, not going to turn to my own understanding in the midst of the situation. I don't understand it. I am not wicked. I have not done what is wrong to you, Saul. And yet you have relentlessly pursued my life for numerous chapters now. But you know what? I'm going to continue doing what is right. I'm going to continue to submit to your authority. I'm going to continue to live a faithful, obedient life to God. Why? Because he is a just 
and good God. And I'm going to trust in him and not in my own understanding, not in my own abilities, but in who God is. So David calls on the Lord to judge and vindicate him from Saul's hand. And so are you trusting in the Lord? Are you trusting that God is a good judge? Are you trusting in him? Does your actions and your lifestyle demonstrate your understanding of God as a just and good judge? When there are positions of authority over you who are acting wrongly, how do you respond to those positions of authority? That's really the situation David's in. Right? Maybe your positions of authority aren't really acting wrongly, but you just think that they are. What does David teach us? What is scripture teaching us about how we respond to those situations? big idea is that God is just and that you can live in faithful obedience and trust in him. Imagine how hard it must have been for David to live in faithful obedience. Now, I, was, I, was, I was gone from Monday morning till you know, Saturday morning. And I missed Anastasia, right? I missed Bethany. Okay? But it was only a week, you know. And we even have, like, Facebook Messenger, so I could, like, make videos and, like, mask up, mask down, because we have these little gator masks. It's really fun. After I got home, I showed Beth Anastasia my mask. She goes, mask, because every time I'd send her a video, I'd go, mask up, mask down. <laughs> we had to do that all camp, week long, okay? So Anastasia now knows the word mask. It's real fun. Okay? But I missed them, right? How long has David been out wandering around in the wilderness? Missing his family? And missing the, the luxury that comes with living in a city and not living in caves? What does he choose to do? He chooses to live in faithful obedience to God. The same thing is true about every other area of our life. God is a good and just judge. So in scripture, when he says, do this or do that, whatever the situation is, whether it be submission to authority or whether it be how you live your life in purity or how you reach out and demonstrate your genuine love and care for another believer or how you demonstrate your faith to your neighbors or to your coworkers, or how you do any other aspect of the Christian walk. What it's really calling on you to do is to say, who is God? And the answer is always that God is a just and good judge. And so your response and my response is always to continue walking in faith. We are saved by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. We live on a day-to-day -day basis by living and walking in faith.
So how are you living in response to the good judge that we have? Are you looking to the Lord for vindication, for judgment of your enemies, for judgment in a situation that you don't understand? Are you looking to your own understanding? Finally, as the passage wraps up, God's servants sin, but they seek forgiveness. God's servants look to the Lord for vindication. And finally, God's servants are honored for their righteousness. David has just preached like a really, really short sermon to King Saul, right? It's like that long. How does King Saul respond to it? How does King Saul respond to the sermon? Saul weeps, demonstrating strong emotion, but probably not genuine change. At least not genuine change that lasts. Why did I say that? Just go read chapter 25, 26, 27, and you'll find out. Saul hasn't changed. He's affected emotionally and very strongly. Look at verse 16. So it was when David had finished speaking these words to Saul that Saul said, Is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. It's like I said to the junior boy, right? Sorry doesn't mean anything unless you change. And while Saul stops right now doing what he's doing, and his words demonstrate that he understands that God is a righteous and good judge. And he tells David, you are to be honored above me. Why? Because you have rewarded me for evil, but I have rewarded you only with evil, even though you've only done good. But his actions are not long-term changed. And sorry only means something if there's actual change. And while Saul hasn't really changed, you see in this passage that God intends to honor David for his righteousness. It's one of those passages where, you know, Saul isn't actually a prophet, really. But what he says here is really quite prophetic, right? He's going to go on and he's going to be like, yeah, God's going to really care for you. Why? Because you've dealt well with me, even though I've done really evil to you. Look at verse 17. Then he spoke to David, You are more righteous than I. For you rewarded me with good, whereas I have rewarded you with evil. And you have shown this day how you have dealt well with me. For when the Lord delivered me into your hand, you did not kill me. For if a man finds his enemy, it's interesting, this is probably another proverb. So, in David's sermon to Saul, he quotes a proverb, right? He says, wickedness proceeds from the wicked. I'm not wicked. You're wicked. And now Saul quotes a proverb back. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him get away safely? The idea is, you'd be really stupid if you found your enemy and you didn't kill him. But you did that, David. You're pretty righteous. And I'm pretty evil. He's acknowledging that David's proverb that he quotes is indeed true. He is wicked. He is evil. He is inept. He is unfit for leadership. And God will honor and will care for his righteous servant. Therefore, may the Lord reward you with good for you have done to me, for what you have done to me this day. 
And now I know indeed that you sure, shall surely be king, and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Therefore, swear now to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants after me, and that you will not destroy my name from my father's house. So David swore to Saul, and Saul went home. What happens to David? Does David believe that Saul has genuinely changed? No, he does not believe that Saul has genuinely changed, because if he really did believe that Saul had genuinely changed, would you continue living in caves when you could go back home to your wife and, you know, enjoy the comforts of a real bed? No, not one of those camp beds? No, you would go back home. But he doesn't go back home. Okay? All right. Saul acknowledges David as righteous for his faithfulness to Saul. Saul acknowledges God's rich reward for his righteous actions. So are you willing to wait in faithful obedience even a turmoil? Where do you go in the midst of trying times? Really, nothing has changed for David. And he knows it. How do we know that he knows it? Verse 22 says he doesn't go home. If he really thought something had drastically changed in the heart of Saul, he would have gone home. Because home's a lot more comfortable than some cave. Nothing has changed really for David. God has demonstrated himself faithful and just in David's life. And Saul has been used to communicate the truth that God is just and that God will care for and will honor David. But in the moment that David is living in, in verse 22, nothing has changed. Why does David continue to live by faith? It's because he really believes. Because he's really following after God with his whole heart. Are there going to be times in David's life where David is going to have moments in his life where he <coughs> sins and he sins grievously against God? Yeah, there will be. But as a general rule, David is pursuing God with his whole heart. Why? Because of what he believes about God. That God is a just, good God. And because he is just and because he is good, whatever he says to do, he says to honor the Lord's anointed, then he's going to try to seek to honor the Lord's anointed with his whole heart. If God tells him to go and defeat these people and to kill all of them and their animals, what does he do? He goes and he kills all those people and all their animals. Why? Because that's following the Lord in obedience. The question is, how are you and I going to respond to the truth of who our God is? God is a judge. And he wants us to live in trust in him. How are you going to respond to that truth? Are you going to live by faith this week and follow him in obedience and faithfulness? Are you going to choose to rely upon your own understanding, your own abilities, as you go through the trials and difficulties of this life? Living in obedience is not easy most of the time. 
A lot of times you look at God's word and God's word says, do this. And you know what? From a human standpoint, it would be a lot easier to look at it and God's word says, do this. And it's like, you know what? Everybody else around me is doing this. And so who do you trust? Do you trust the righteous judge? Do you trust your own understanding? What God wants for you and me is for us to wait on his timing. As we wait, at some point, he will demonstrate himself just. He will demonstrate himself righteous. It may be that in this lifetime, you and I never see how God used that command, that instruction that he gave us in his word, to accomplish anything good. You might, but you might not. When Christ comes back and he establishes his kingdom, then he comes back before he establishes his kingdom, and he judges the earth for seven years in the tribulation. You will be proven that you did what is right, that you did what is just and good. How are you going to live this week? God wants us to wait on him. And as we wait on him to show himself just and to vindicate us before the world, he wants us to wait in faithful obedience to the Lord's commands. Are you obeying him fully? Is there an area of your life where you're holding back and you're saying, I will obey in these areas. But this is sacrosanct. This is, this is my little my little pet. I'm going to keep this back. And if you say, you know, that's, that's me to some degree or another. And what God wants you and me to do is to come before him and to tell him we're sorry. And then to change. Because sorry alone doesn't mean it. Let's go to the Lord in a word. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that you are a just judge and that you do vindicate us. And while we may go through our entire lives pursuing righteousness and people all around us may have more and may appear humanly to prosper and to do better than we do, we thank you for the fact that you are faithful and that you are good and that we can live in faithful obedience to you tomorrow. That we can live in faithful obedience to you today. We pray that it would be our heart's desires to follow you with our whole heart. And to live in obedience and to turn to you in faith and trust. In your name we pray. Amen. If you would uh, stand with me. And let's sing hymn 77. We're going to sing the second verse. Please stand.